Hello, and welcome to the Player to Prospect podcast. The following episode features a conversation with Mikey Honer, who is a volunteer assistant at McNeese State University. To support the podcast, all follows, ratings, and reviews are appreciated. And now I present to you Mikey Honer. I guess the first question, you know, I'd like to ask was just kind of how this fall went. Um, obviously, you guys are in that in this dead period. And uh, yeah, how'd the fall go? I mean, re reminiscing on the fall, it went great, you know, and it was cool to get accustomed to McNeese and how they operate and the guys in the team and just what you saw throughout the fall is, man, this good older group with a good core of leadership. And, you know, we really liked how we went throughout the fall, went about our business and we're liking the vibe of the team and, and mm. just the results that we got. So it was a very productive fall. Uh, it was really good to see some things uh, just develop throughout the year and real excited for the spring. It was a very productive fall for us. You said he had an older team. So do you like to lean on those guys and kind of give them a lot of the, the reins in terms of the responsibilities and how to kind of conduct um, like the, the business side of things, like, you know, in terms of uh, leading like the younger guys or um, running a practice, even kind of like, you know, certain things like that you might give to an older group of players. It's cool when you have a couple of leaders that you don't really have to tell them what to do. Like you, they're mm -hmm. already setting up the field. They're already getting the early work in They're They're ready as soon as you get out there. And like, when you have, it's like having another coach on the field and like they're have lit or playing to a certain standard and operating mm -hmm. at a certain standard that it takes a little pressure off you as a coach. Like, man, like Brad Burkell is our second baseman who like fiery guys. They sometimes call him mad Brad, but man, that guy set up the field every day and he's taking reps every day and he's, making sure things are going smoothly. So it's, it's like a next, another coach that really helps our team. Mm. We have an older group like uh, Trey Oberground, who's older than me, and I'm 25, who's a seventh. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> and, like, he's like, man, I've been through this. But the way they go about their business, like, man, he's got a routine before he hits. He's got a routine when he gets in the cage. He has a routine when he gets out there. It's just mm. really cool to see, like, these older guys and how they're able to pour into the to newer guys on the team and show them how they operate and how things are supposed to go on a day-to-day -day basis. So it's good mm -hmm. to have an extension of uh, your words, but not having to remind them that just, they know what the standard is and they do it on a daily basis without even thinking twice about it. Yeah. Have you found in the fall that um, kind of the, the general way about how things should go is that you're sort of setting this standard for maybe more so the new players. Um, but, but also kind of just like building that culture for the fall. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's just like how do like you get these freshmen here that have not been to a, a university and they're getting pounded by class and it's like a whole lot of baseball and they're trying to keep up with the older guys. When you have a, a group that can just show them the way and show them by like their actions day in and day out, it's easy for a younger guy to like, oh, I'm going to hang out with this guy now and I'm going to do what he does. Mm -hmm. And now I can get accustomed to the day to day activities. And this is what he's doing. And he's starting. He hit 360 last year. Okay, I'm going to stick next to him for as long as possible and see what he does so I can incorporate that into my daily routine. So with that mm -hmm. standard um, that they've set, it's it's cool to see them pour into to the younger group and the newer guys at the program. Mm -hmm. You, you've already mentioned the word routine a few times. That was something that Nolan mentioned a bunch. And yeah. I, I love that word. I think it's a great thing for everyone to have in terms of, you know, the players that you work with uh, every single day. Are you trying to implement routines into what they do as well? I'm trying to get them, I would say, not like a specific routine, because I would say everyone has a different routine, but mm -hmm. I want them to believe in their routine and to believe in mm -hmm. what they're doing. 
And uh, a good way of doing that is just asking them a bunch of questions about the routine they come into our university with. Like, hey, why do you do this a certain way? Like, why do you do this every day? Like, what is the point of this drill? And how does that make you be better on the mound? And mm-hmm. when you question them, sometimes they have a really good answer. And sometimes they, I don't know, just what I've done since I was, I don't know, a senior in high school. So yeah. and you, you continually ask them questions to get them to whether or not question what they do or believe in what they do. And, and when you really believe in your process and you believe in like what you're doing, I feel like that promotes success on the field. So just uh, with that, asking them questions, just getting them more ingrained, like of like, hey, we really believe in this, continue to do it, fantastic, but I'm going to hold you to that standard as well and hold mm-hmm. you to that routine because you continually do it. Yeah. What about that flip side where players are asking you why you want to implement certain things? Because players are going to start asking why a lot more these days. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You, you do get that question. It keeps you as a coach on your toes. You're like, well, dang, yeah. I need to have some good answer to these things. Mm-hmm. And uh, having clear, uh, just clear communication of what the purpose of a drill, what the purpose of a routine is. And I think uh, that is probably the most successful way I communicate it to them. Like, hey, this is what the purpose of this drill is. It's for balance and direction, we do a couple of lead up drills where, hey, working on really good balance and really good direction. Because if you don't have those two things when you're going through your process of throwing, it's probably not going to work out great. Now, yeah. as a player, like, is it cookie cut for for all the whole group? Not too much, but uh, I try to use different, I guess, use different drills for different players to have them, I don't know, continue to develop and to continue to progress as a pitcher. Mm, okay. Uh, and then how about the other coaches? Can you talk about, you know, your other coaches, your relationships with them, how how that works, um, how they like to operate on the day-to-day sort of um, dynamic? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so the head coach, Justin Hill, has been here for nine years, and he was a pitcher. He pitched at LSU, and he's kind of, as I've transferred from a catching slash hitting guy to a pitching guy, he's kind of held my hand through the process and mm-hmm. how things work and what to look for with pitchers because as a previous catcher, like, hey, you're watching a bullpen, you catch it, like, hey, did that one have a little tail? Yeah, that little bit, you throw it back to him. We don't think too much of it. So he's been really great to me of uh, just what to look for when it comes to bullpens and pitchers and just good good all around. But he's been here for nine years, and he's uh, extremely organized. So everything we do has a purpose, and he's not one for wasting time. Let's get here. Let's be on time. Let's get our things done. Let's not waste a second. But everything behind what we do has a purpose for that day, and what are we trying mm-hmm. to accomplish? So he's fantastic. And then Nick Zaleski, who's been here for seven years long, Coach Hill, is the hitting guy. Mm-hmm. And he has a, an influx of, of different drills that he works with the hitters. And throughout the fall, you'll see him mix a bunch of different hitting drills just to have good body control and to see that what your body can do and, and where you have more success. Like hey, there might be a guy who, hey, man, he has really good hand-to-ball, um, what do you call it? skill yeah yeah like he's really good hand-eye coordination but sometimes his balance is bad and he tries to find holes but also tries to find your strengths just to see you as a player before we start inner squatting Uh, and with that he also puts a really great emphasis on on base running if you look at our stats over the past three or four or five years we take one of the most opportunities in our conference stealing bases and we have a lot of we take a lot of time each and every day to to pour into that and to pour into our method of that so he's uh, really big on doing different drills to find your strengths and weaknesses and also uh, coaching to your strengths and weaknesses. And then we also have Jimmy Rickelson, who is uh, 60 or 58 years old. He might give me a little crap for calling him. Old <laughs> but um, he's been doing it forever. And he's uh, 
he was at McNeese a long time ago, and then it was at Lamar for 15 plus years. And hmm. he's just a, a guy that's a little more old school and keeps everyone to a certain standard, writes everything on a piece of paper, is always on you to make sure we're getting things done, whether that's, hey, do we check to see if the, the hoses are wrapped up or, hey, I need hmm. you to do this for me. He's just keeps everyone on their toes, but also has a young personality. So from that hmm. aspect, he's he works with the infielders and he also is probably the main recruiter. And he'll, he'll be on the road for most of the fall. And in the spring, he'll even miss a couple of games to go out and watch guys. So he's just uh, an old soul with the young man's mentality. So it's been good mm. to to take a little bit of pieces from each of those coaches because uh, they all have some really great value to bring to the team. Now for the listeners, let's you know dive into what you do for the team. Uh, yeah, so what I do is I, I work with the pitchers uh, day in and day out. I also work with the catchers. And as I said earlier, it's been a little bit of a transition for me just as mm-hmm. being a catcher and you're not uh, so in focus with track man and what do you do on the best way to throw a curveball, the best way to throw a changeup. You know the very basics, but when it comes down to being really detailed and really knowing your stuff, that has been a little bit of a transition. And I've mm-hmm. been lucky enough to have a guy like Coach Hill to pour into me uh, to just uh, increase my knowledge on the pitching position. Mm-hmm. Well, let's ask about the catchers though i know that's like that's your strong suit that's what you played um not too long ago yeah. uh so where where is um i, want, I don't want to say inspiration but how, how do you like to approach the catchers um do you have a certain way you like to go with every catcher or do you like to treat every catcher differently i try to in certain aspects i treat them the same and in, in what I want out of them, whether that's uh, okay. like, hey, this, is, this is the the best way to get a ball to second base like, the most consistently. Like this is like the drill that we need to continue to work on. Whether that's a straight line drill, like there's certain drills that I think work for all catchers. Uh, now, when it comes mm-hmm. to receiving, I feel like there's a couple different ways to make that happen. And extension, mm-hmm. like there's a way to catch it where you're extending and bringing it back to you with the low pitch, and there's some that work up through it. And what I try to do with uh, the certain different ways of receiving is I try to play to their strengths. It's very hard to uh, reteach a method of receiving. It takes a, a very long time. And for a guy that's a senior in college who's been doing it for eight plus years, it's hard to reteach that. So I try to really uh, coach to their strengths when it comes to the receiving aspect. Mm. Uh, but as far as the mentality, I feel like you have to have a certain mentality to be behind the plate. Uh, I like to say you're the quarterback of the field, but you're treated like a lineman. You know, no one's going to give you credit for the things you do. You're a servant back there. Mm. And with that, you need to just own it all the time. Like, I don't want to see a guy like I'm really big on toughness. I'm really big on just getting after it. I know bullpens are not the most fun thing for catchers to do, but it's that's the easiest way to get better outside of catching in a game. Mm. No one in their right mind as a catcher is eager to go catch five bullpens in a row. And if you tell me someone that is, I can show you a liar. That's just not 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 reasonable. Yeah. But with that, like you're. You do, uh, you take reps and you get comfortable with the pitching staff and like you're blocking in a bullpen, you're getting those live reps when a guy's ripping an 80 mile an hour curveball in the dirt. Like that is something you can't replicate with a machine, with a coach thrown from 60 feet away. You can't replicate mm-hmm. those types of blocks or those opportunities to receive. So I know bullpens are not the most fun, but that is where you have the most growth of a catcher outside of catching in an inner squad or a game. Uh, mm-hmm. So with that, I really promote toughness and I'll, I'll give my fair share of a uh, of trash talk to the guys that wear one off the arm and rub it just because I was back there with you, man. You just gotta, you gotta be the man. You gotta be tough and you gotta want every opportunity. What's that been like to, um, being so close in age to your players too? 
Yeah, it's been a little different because I feel like last year as a, like a first year coach, I was a little mm-hmm. too friendly with guys. I was like, hey, man, how we doing? Like, yeah, I was a little just too, I don't know, player coach or a little too on the player side, if that makes sense. So, yeah, yeah. Which is, is fine, but as long as they listen when you're, when you're talking about certain things when it comes to baseball. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's been, it's been nice because I feel like, like I've, I've been, I'm so close to the game and I understand their personalities and the way they operate but I can also relate to them so much easier. It's like, yeah, I know exactly what you mean here. I did the same thing like less than two years ago. Uh, but with that, you have to, it's a little tough because you have to create a line and they're just like, Hey, we're, you're my guy. I'll do anything for you. But like, we're not boys, boys, but like, like I, I still like appreciate you. And like, I don't know. Yes. So there's a line there that you, you can't mm-hmm. cross, which is a little hard for a young guy like me. Uh, but a wise man once said, that's why you grow facial hair to try to create a bigger line. <laughs> <laughs> older so it's it's uh it's been a little bit of an adjustment but i'll tell you all the players i've worked with have been extremely respectful uh shown a lot of respect to me uh and they've been when i have something to say they listen and they they're not mm. just telling me like oh okay and i don't really get that which is very nice to have as a young coach yeah has anyone uh caught your eye this fall particularly or made a made big jumps this fall where you're like okay, yeah, he's clearly putting in the work. You can see that it's coming to fruition a little bit. And then can you just elaborate on like what that player might be doing to help them get to that point? So uh, there's a guy named Josh Leslie. And uh, Josh was our third baseman last year. He was a first-team all-conference guy. And you look at Josh, and he's, he looks sort of like a, a smaller Greek god, man. He's chiseled up. He's he's super – he has a little bit of a Cali vibe. You know, he's mm. super laid back. Um but this uh, this fall, we're like, hey, Josh, we're gonna throw you at shortstop just to just to see how things work out. Just you probably you have we'll, we'll put you back at third base if it doesn't, but we want to see you at shortstop. And man, you talk about a guy who's taken an opportunity and absolutely ran with it. Um, and mm. he's just, I think his mom is a fitness instructor slash uh, like yoga instructor, and his dad's a golf pro. So just imagine the vibe wow. of that kid, just super laid back and like off, like focused, but uh, mm. just. His day to day, I mean, he is a cage rat. Like he's he's always in the cage, uh, and he doesn't. He never looks tired or gas. He goes about his business in such a relaxed manner, in such a, mm. a way that he has incredible focus. But he's not overworking. Where it's like go 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 go. He's like oh, I'll take a couple swings. I'll think about it. I'll take a couple more swings. But he's mm. in the cage constantly. He's he's working out. He's doing the little things that you don't really see. Like the other day. We're, I think we had a couple of bullpens and he comes out there, nobody's on the field. It's just him. And he's working on his jumps at first base. You know, it's just little things like that that hmm. I've never seen before. Like as a player, I, I probably, I don't think I ever just went to a field six, started working on my jumps at first base, but that's the type of guy he is. He's pouring everything he has into yeah. this game because he's, he wants to take this opportunity in the spring and really run with it. But man, he's, he's had a really good fall for us. He's probably our best hitter and, best defender he's looked really good at shortstop and it's been fun to watch him develop and just be 100 himself mm. well so that's a guy that you don't really have to worry too much about on the development side it seems like he has it pretty dialed in for himself mm-hmm. what about those guys that aren't as experienced maybe freshmen too um particularly who you know they're coming in you guys have you know a lot more resources um, for that first fall, at least, do you kind of let them just like do their own thing or do you like to kind of get, you know, get some video on them, just try to 
tweak things as soon as possible? Like what's, what's the vibe with that? I think the first couple of weeks you just let them be, you know, you recruit these guys yeah. because they're good in high school. They pass success in high school. Hey, let's see how that success transfers over to the first couple of weeks in the fall. And um, as you continue to watch them go in the fall, you see their struggles, you see their strengths and you see where you can help them. And I think the best way to be able to step in and to talk to them, just having an open line of communication, sort of like mm. asking the pitchers, like, Hey, why do you do this on a day-to-day basis? And you ask the same thing to like a position player, like uh, Kane Sanchez is a new catcher and you ask him what he does on a day-to-day basis and where he thinks his weaknesses are and how we think we can continually progress or Easton mm. Dow, a second baseman slash shortstop for us. You watch them play and you see, okay, like this isn't working out too much. What can we do to change that? But also I think the greatest teacher is failure in this game. You're going to fail. So watching them, you yep. know, have these failures, like, Hey, like you just punched out for three, three times in a row in inner squad. Like you probably never did that in high school, but that's, that's great. You know, you're really going to, you're really going to think about that. You're really going to think about your day to day and question things that you do. And with that question comes growth. And you see a lot of that in the fall. Like, man, these kids are, are starting to uh, figure it out towards the end and into the early spring. So with mm-hmm. that, you know, a lot of freshmen are going to struggle. But as long as you continue to support them and to tell them, hey, it's going to be all right. We just need to keep continue to stack good days and stack wins. It's all going to work out. But just keeping them in a positive mindset that this is part of the grind. This is part of the success mm-hmm. that's going through a little bit of failure. Absolutely. Because um, it's going to happen to everybody. Um, I'd like to ask when the implementation of technology comes into play or how you guys like to implement technology, whatever you guys have, if you could talk a little bit about about the technology side of baseball uh, as it pertains to development. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's, I'm sure you as a pitcher know TrackMan is huge nowadays. Everyone, mm-hmm. knows, like the TrackMan numbers, knows what their average spin rate, the inverse vertical and the horizontal break. All of that stuff is fantastic. With that, we are getting a, a TrackMan this fall in our mm. spring and so that we're getting our shell of our uh, stadium came off during our, our recent hurricane so we're that is oh, getting wow. and now we're putting a track in back there we're also ordering an edutronic uh t- for the development process of picture as you know it's probably really important pro baseball uh so with that you have a lot of players that know where the dead zones are in track man and know what, what's good and what's bad and it's good to use those numbers but we also uh with that try not to get over infatuated with it's not all about the numbers. We also have to compete and throw it on the corners of the plate and, mm-hmm. and work around some work pitches. Uh, so that's all going to be great new stuff that we'll be able to implement in the fall. But as far as – or in the spring, sorry, I keep getting that mixed up. But as far as this fall, we use this um, – you know, you use the video camera. We also have this uh, certain app that for some – the life of me, I can't remember what it's called, but it's a playback app that it's like you throw mm-hmm. a pitch and it's delayed five seconds. Yeah, I've heard of this app, yes. Yeah, so you're able to like throw it and like – Okay, like, what did you feel there? Let's watch it. Yeah, I can see that now. So you're, like, watching yourself in real time after each pitch. So okay. in bullpens, sometimes when a guy's arm slot doesn't seem like it's the same on a fastball or changeup, you can blow that camera up on a television or, or a TV. You can put a little piece of tape on the screen, like, hey, this is where you're on your fastball. This is where you're on your changeup. This mm-hmm. is where you're in the we're trying to sync all those arm slots in the same spot. And the yeah. same for catching. Uh, you're really able to, to see – the deficiencies in catching and when you're really good at when you're receiving a pitch. So you set a machine up at a real steep angle with a couple of heaters and you'll ask a catcher like, Hey, did you feel that? Like, did you feel like you got that? And a lot of the times they'll say yes. Well, if you watch it back and, and replay in three second delay, you're like, wow, like there was a lot of, a lot of movement right there. So that's mm-hmm. another way where you're able to use that 
a little small piece of, of technologies, you can really see what you're doing in real time. You don't have to necessarily go off the feel. You can look at the yeah. actual on camera. You can also use it for swinging, but that's a little app that we've utilized along with just a regular video camera. But we're really looking forward to getting that Edutronic and the TrackMan this spring. That is going to be real big for us. Now, in the spring, are you guys going to rely on any of that stuff, you know, for development? Or what, once you get to the season, I would imagine it's a little bit less so of that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I would say it's definitely less about changing things. We're not going to change mm, a, yeah. a like a real big drastic change on a breaker. Uh, but also seeing where you're at as far as like the consistency aspect. Like we want our guys to be the same on day one, opening day, and have the same type of stuff, same type of velocity, same numbers as you are when it comes to May when you're playing for a regional or playing for a conference championship. And just tracking that consistency along with going with the feel, of like how your body feels and how your arm feels, I think will be a very big helper for us and how we uh, just implement the strength program and all that other good things that go into pitching. But that's just a good thing to have where I don't know if his breaker looked really good today. I don't really know if his, his fastball had as much run on it today. And you have real-time data that tells you you're right or you're not right. So yeah. really looking forward to that and implementing uh, those two things. I know our pitchers are super excited about it. So oh, they should be. Yes, <laughs> I would be too. Yeah. You mentioned this, uh, this word consistency. I want to ask, just in your experience, both as a player and a coach, um, how consistency just impacts, you know, maybe yourself or or teammates. Just, you know, what that what that word kind of means to you or to McNeese as a as a program. Yeah, it's a being a thermostat, not a thermometer. You want to be one the same person every day, whether you go zero for five or you go five for five. You don't want to have a, a mentality or an mm -hmm. attitude change, but. I think that's the, the basis of it, being the same person just on and off the field, like your quality or like you're not like having a good day. You're the same person. But I think what's having success in this game, it's consistency. Like I'm sure you've had a lot of guys, even pitchers can go to batting practice and hit a home run or go to batting practice and have one line drive or one home run to batting practice. But like, man, the guys that can do it consistently, just put backside line, backside line or backside line or the guys that can show up and, and not make an error on a hundred attempts. You know, it's, mm -hmm. it's, everyone can field a ground ball. Everyone can throw a, a one, eight or one, nine flat pop time. They can do it once. I've done it. I, so everyone can probably hit a ball 385 feet down the left field line. I've done it once, but how often can you do that? And how consistent can you do that? Cause that is the difference between guys that are playing pro ball, guys that are playing in the major leagues and that guys that are playing college balls, man, they can do this day in day out. They can roll out mm -hmm. of bed. It's, I just think that's the big separator. So it's not the just the one-time success. It's multiple-time success. How can we continually be this great? And it kind of goes into, as a pitcher, you're like, man, I really had a good outing the first two outings of the year, but towards the end, I started dropping off. What can we do different to make uh, that from the beginning of those performances being there sustained throughout the, the end of the year? Like, what, whether it's strength, mm -hmm. whether it's our routine, what like let's analyze all of it like is it mobility like what can we analyze to make sure you were the same person that first day as you are the, the last day so i think that's everything i think consistency is everything especially if you want to make a career out of this game mm. i actually completely agree i have no flaws to that statement whatsoever <laughs> yeah. um i i totally agree with what you're saying um does that um, fall into the category of what the sort of team culture is like at McNeese. Um, can you elaborate like a little bit more on what the culture piece is and like how you guys try to develop that? 
Yeah, I would say uh, a lot of our, our culture today, and Coach Zaleski doesn't really like using the word culture, and I found him on this. It is a buzzword. Yeah, I'll admit, it's a, it's a weird little buzzword. You get that, and I, you probably ninety percent of the guys you interview probably say, like, "Man, we're blue collar. We work hard. We get after it." And you know, after being at a couple of different programs, man, there's a lot of kids mm. that work hard. But what is the separator? And one thing I look at being new to McNeese is, man, this team is pretty resilient. And you know, they mm. went through two hurricanes, or it was COVID, and then two hurricanes, and they come back after those two hurricanes with a field that is pretty torn up no indoor, no, no locker room because that had been jacked up from the hurricanes and they're practicing on a different high school field every single day. And then they come in and open up with Alabama three days before they go to Alabama, there's a free storm where no one has running water. I mean, you have those types of things happen. Uh, and you look at a team that didn't have, didn't have an indoor or a locker room and they still are winning a regular season championship or winning a conference tournament championship. And mm. just guys that had very little resources to work with, be resilient and still be a unbelievable team and unbelievable success story. Hmm. Um, that's just a lot of magic that's happened the past couple of years here. So with that, even a couple of guys that are still a part of the team, extremely resilient and you can say blue collar, but man, they get after it. They love each other. And they love playing here. We don't really have a, there's a lot of transfer portal. We don't have a guy that wants to, to leave here. There's, they're all there we have a great, great retention rate they, they enjoy the team they enjoy the way we go about it and most of all they enjoy the, each other so the team chemistry aspect i think is is very huge that mm -hmm. love this place and they love how it goes and they love each other i think that is might be the most important thing you can have in a team right now with the way that transfer portal nil always playing into effect What's been your take on that? Like ever since just the just the birth of the transfer portal and how this is like really affected college baseball? Because did it did it start when you were a player? I think it was the year after. The year after, been. okay. I know the NIL started the year after because I was like, dang, missed missed payday. Yeah, yes, yeah, I feel the same exact way. Yes, <laughs> I was like, man, just one year too late. Yeah, um, it's different, it, and uh, you get guys that it just doesn't work out for them, and all right, I'm out of here, I'm leaving, like. There's some guys that are yeah. selfish with it, but there's also some guys like, hey, I, I'm being realistic. I don't really have an opportunity here. I, I, I see, I see it all. I see who's in front of me. I see he's not leaving, and I get the opportunity to move to a different place. I, I don't have a really problem with that. As far as recruiting aspect, yeah, it helps. It 100% helps. It gets a little mm -hmm. crazy, as as you may know, but you get a guy like uh, Derek Cherry from University of Houston who had pitched a substantial amount throughout his career there, mm -hmm. transferred over to McNeese as a fifth year. You get a guy with that type of knowledge, that type of experience to come in and be the the tie end to your bullpen. Man, that's that's really hard to get out of a high school or a junior college player, a guy that's got that type of experience. Mm -hmm. So yeah. And I, I say that kind of experience being poured into the younger guys and it's just really good to have that older guy just who's done it and had success doing it to, mm -hmm. to be around other pitchers that may not have had that success just yet so yeah. there's to it it's a it can be a little bit of a frenzy uh certainly the NIL landscape i think is going to really change uh some things just teams are able to you got the 11.7 but also you got hey we got some nil money that i can also throw that you can use to help pay for your tuition so i think that will that will hurt a little bit of the mid-major aspect just because you have these big schools with a little more money uh but it just is what it is you got to uh, adapt and survive and I think so far we've done a pretty good job doing that, but uh, it's definitely a completely different landscape. And 
to be quite honest with you, I'm not sure where it's headed. Yeah, I mean, I, I think only God knows how this is going to play out or what it's going to look like in three years, five years, 10 years. Who knows? I mean, right. my gosh. Um, in terms of the NIL stuff, have, have you guys sort of uh, taken charge of that at all? Or uh, Not that everyone can. Again, like you said, it's at this point, I think only like the biggest programs can really take advantage of this stuff, which kind of creates like this divide almost of like, you know, the haves and have nots, right? Yeah, the, the rich get richer type deal. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly. But uh, like uh, we've had a couple guys take advantage of it and very small things like liquid. IV. We got a couple guys that are sponsored by Liquid IV and they're able to bring like some hydration. Mm. Packets. And uh, I know we got one player who's he's selling his own merchandise, but us specifically as a university haven't been able to create many opportunities for our players just because we're such a, a lower market team compared to like, yeah, yeah. an LSU or an A&M or they have millions of dollars spends on a budget. We we don't necessarily have that. So that's what you're kind of fighting against. And and with that, the great thing in football, like if like McNeese were lined up against LSU, like it, it probably it, they're just bigger, they're faster, they're stronger. It's it is what it is. I think with baseball though, hey, talent, they're gonna be super maybe a little more talented. Their batting practice may look great and they may throw the ball a lot harder, but you still gotta play that game. And it's it's not mm. the best team always wins, it's the best team who plays that day, it's gonna win. And, that's yeah. what I love about baseball is the unpredictability of it. Like you, you have to be – you're not just going to win on pure size and strength. That ball still got over the plate, and you still got to make contact with it. So, yeah, you know, it's going to be a separator. I don't – I think there will be, like, a very big change in talent. I think, like, LSU is still going to get really good guys. We're going to still get good guys. AM is going to get the most talented guys. But, like, I still believe wholeheartedly that we will be able to compete whether we have – a million dollars worth of NIL money to distribute to 35 guys and they do, you know, so I'm not yeah. too worried about that just because I think that's the nature of our game is the unpredictability aspect to it. I think if we were to have a 2080 grade scale uh, and you have team chemistry and talent, I'd rather have that team that is like a 70 team chemistry with like a 40 talent than a 70 talent team with like a team, like a 40 uh, team chemistry um like grade right yeah yeah 100 i could not agree yeah. the best teams i've ever been on been around are the teams that are the closest and they just mm -hmm. have each other's back and i think that is where a where mcneese kind of plays up because you go to a school mm -hmm. like AM, like, like okay I, I gotta be up at five o'clock i gotta make sure i'm at weights here in four different weight groups i gotta make sure i'm at weights by six and then i'm eating and then i have class which at a school like texas a m is not the easiest thing in the world you got class mm. and you got practice. Then after that, you have to go to study hall. And then after that, you got whatever's going on. There's a lot of things that you have to do there, which is fantastic because they have every resource for you. Yeah. I mean, school, not as hard. So guys are putting a little bit less pressure on themselves. That gives them a little more free time. Like, hey, what are the mm. guys doing? There's just a little more freedom to, to all be together as opposed to an A&M where you have a little more freshmen and a little more older guys. So there's a bigger gap. You got an 18-year-old and a 23-year-old that, may not be able to really connect at a school like Manise, We do recruit a little heavier on the junior college side of things. So you have a little bit of an older mm. group with a few freshmen mixed in there. It's, I just feel like it's easier for this team to have good chemistry because there's only a couple places to be in Lake Charles as opposed to you can be scattered about at a school, like a bigger school in the SEC. Sure. I mean, yeah, absolutely. You said you uh, recruit a lot more junior college guys and I would imagine transfer portal is going to start 
really affecting junior college myself yeah. as someone who is a d1 bounce back to a junior college um do you think that'll shift the way you guys go about things in terms of getting you know maybe some more ex experienced guys and not as many high school guys well i you know i i think it could change it a little bit uh i know we i've always like just the way the beast is we've had to rely on junior college guys to compete in in our conference mm. i do think with the the transfer portal Junior colleges are affected, but also as a, a coach looking at that transfer portal, you see 2,000 names. There's a – you get – it's kind of hard to, to distinguish who's can play, who can – so a lot of these kids get caught in the transfer portal not able to go anywhere else besides junior college. So yeah, with that, it will change a little bit. I feel like uh, even this fall, I feel like the junior college playing Texas after talking to Jimmy and Z who were on the road uh, is a little bit down. I do think uh, with the transfer portal opening up in the summer and you see guys that transfer maybe at mid-semester junior, junior college, mm -hmm. there'll be more opportunity in the spring. Uh, so with that, I do think it'll change a little bit, but I, I couldn't tell you like for sure, like what the landscape's going to be in two to three years of, man, are we mm. just going to create portal guys or like, are we going to stay, start steering away from the junior college aspect or are we going to have more opportunities with high school kids because of the, the transfer portal? So yeah. I think we're just kind of at the tip of the iceberg here on how that's going to end up being. Now, do you talk to any of the high school players that you guys are recruiting at all? Or um, how, how do you guys like to, you know, approach the high school recruit sort of side? So we try to really recruit local. Uh, you know, I think there's yeah. a lot of good baseball in the Houston area. And I think there's a lot of good baseball in Louisiana area, especially the Southwest and Southeast. Uh, so we try to stay uh, local. And there's, three high schools down the road that are some really established programs that have some really good players. So with that, like we'll have our little high school prospect camp and like, we'll be able mm -hmm. to talk with them, just see what kind of player they are off the field and, and try to catch like just what they, what they're like. Uh, mm -hmm. So with that talking to high school players, you get them on, on a visit and you get them on campus, you're able to share a little bit about what we're about and, and how we operate. And, you know, we probably will still lose the real high profile commit, but, if a guy that's from Lake Charles knows what Mises is about and feels like he fits our mold, mm. I think we usually have a pretty high success rate of getting him and him having success. Mm. Uh, so with that, I'm still, as a volunteer, getting used to the whole recruiting aspect when it comes to the Division One side of things. But mm -hmm. I think just having a clear kind of getting eyes on him and being able to talk to him is real big before you bring him on campus to to really sell him at me. So just that, yeah, it's a line of communication. That makes sense. I mean, you got to learn, you know, what the player is like, you know, like you're saying, you kind of have to get a sense of who they are, they are so that you can tell if they're going to fit into your guys team. Right. I mean, that's got to be a huge thing is like, can this player really fit with the, the group that we have? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And we, we, it's a, it's funny when I came here is like, Hey man, we got a, a group of misfit toys out there. Like, you know, mm. we have a couple guys that they may look a little weird. They may have something funky, but it works. Okay. And we're all about making things work. And you could have half an arm and throw 85 miles an hour, but you get outs, man. Hey, we like that. You know, it's, <laughs> it's just little things. It doesn't have to be, doesn't have to be six, eight and 98 for us to be good for us. It just has to get outs. It has to get hits. It doesn't mm. have to look pretty. So uh, it's, yeah, it's, they do have to fit the mold at some point. Yeah, it's funny, though, because the mold oftentimes, I feel like what, what a lot of coaches look for is what's that vertical break look like? You know, what's the velo? You know, what's the exit velocity? It's like if you're all chasing the same things, like you're just kind of competing with each other for these, you know, very few players. But 
if you guys you know you see you see past that so the, it's, it's an interesting approach i like the sound of that approach can I, i'm going to talk about now the uh the players that you do have because we're at a point in time where it's very interesting you know you're everyone's gone everyone's home um what's that like you know this dead period um you know before they all come back in the next year right so i talked to the coaches about like yeah off season like because as a player you don't really yeah man it's off season you get to go see some friends and work out and, and it's gonna be great yeah but as a coach you're like you're extremely worried to see what's gonna show up in the spring and mm -hmm. like hey is this guy gonna gain like 20 bad pounds of weight and just be terrible in the spring or is he gonna be getting after it and like earn spots so with that yeah. there's a sense of worry because you're with I think it's like a six to eight week period where you're practicing 20 hours in the fall. And then it's mm -hmm. the same amount of time that they're gone for. So all that work you put in the fall, they are gone for the same amount of time. And then you come back and you have to almost hopefully not start over, but in some cases it may happen. So there's a, a slight mm. uh, chance of worry, but what I try to uh, communicate to the players is, Hey, you get your name and the conversation in the fall, but you win the job in the spring. Like there's been a lot mm -hmm. of guys that have been a fall American, man, he tore it up. He didn't give a run up the entire fall. And he comes back in the spring. He gets torched a little bit. Hey, you may not be the Saturday, Sunday guy. You may be maybe third guy out of the pen. It's just how it works. Or the hitter that, man, he, he couldn't hit water if he fell out of the boat in the fall. But he comes back and is 15 for 25 with four nukes. Hey, that guy, he's going to be in the opening day lineup. Yeah. <laughs> the name of the conversation. But I'm yeah. telling you, the jobs are won in the spring. And if you go and you mess around over the break, it is what it is, man. It's you, you show what you got, but you better be yeah. ready to go, especially if you're, if you're on the brink of having a weekend or being in the starting rotation or being a starter. You better be ready to rock when it comes springtime. Totally agree. Do you guys have any players where it's, you know, okay, uh, be really difficult to see this guy, you know, lose the job? Like, how, how, do you, how much certainty do you guys have in your lineups right now? I would say there's probably – in our starting lineup, there's there's five guys where you're like, these five are gonna play, no no matter what. Yeah. Just coming back like, and they've shown that. And if you ask any player in your team, you'd be, yeah, those five guys will be in the lineup every single day. Mm -hmm. But with that, there's four other spots where we're not sure who's gonna fill those spots on a day to day basis or who's gonna be 100% the starter of that day for our first nine. And when it comes to pitching. You guys, the same guys, like, man, these five or six guys have really shut it down the entire fall. Mm -hmm. With that, there's a couple extra spots because when it comes to, like, the pitching aspect, you have, what is it, seven, maybe eight guys that throw the bulk of the innings. And then number nine, number 10 are getting the scraps, and number 11, number 12 are an inning here and there. But you're going to have a solid six to eight guys that are going to throw the bulk of those innings. And mm -hmm. you have an idea of those first four or five, but – Hey, those other three like that are fighting for those other extra innings, it's a dogfight because you bring I don't know, twenty arms who are fighting for eight spots. Like you yeah. better come up and be a dog. So I would say the pitching side, there's probably three or four spots that are, are locked up, but there's a couple towards the end of the pen, like, hey, if you want some innings, you better come back and, and rock it in spring because mm -hmm. that's when it'll really be decided. And you go on the, the season and there's changes, but you set you up for success when you're getting in the rotation that first weekend. I would imagine you tell those guys that aren't getting the regular innings too, like, hey, change, like, it's bound to happen. That's just how baseball goes. Game one to game 50. Like, the lineup almost always just looks different, right? Right, yeah. And I think uh, the biggest thing, that, like, those guys that aren't in the starting lineup, they want to like, hey, like, 
your guy number 11 in the lineup or hey like you're you're third out of the pen right now some i would say a lot in my playing career and coaching career lose hope and mm-hmm. they have like little i would just say not our team specifically because have been through spring here but they just get a little bit angry about the situation and they'll get their opportunity but i, I think a real good thing that has been taught to me is hey if you're not there yet continue to train for your moment because mm-hmm. it will come there will be an opportunity where you'll be in a game and hey man it'll be first and second nobody out we need you to get three and, and hold them like and th- that's your moment or hey we got bases loaded we need you to come get a hit like we need you to be the guy like and instead of like training to get in the lineup you're training for your moment so when you do get mm-hmm. that shot like you're successful and it it uh how do we say it promotes growth and like it promotes mm-hmm. hey, you get another opportunity but you gotta continue to train for that moment but yeah that, and that'd be the message to most of our guys like hey if you're not this first day continue to train for that moment because it will happen and you're 100 correct there's going to be opportunities throughout the season uh but mm-hmm. as a guy in that early spring you, you want to be on that field that first day to have the most opportunities because you can't say you didn't have one when you're you're on the field day one and i think another problem with that uh, that you know with players who gain some resentment through their coaches uh, or at their coaches is just the lack of communication right mm-hmm. yeah I 100% agree you, you make a decision and you don't explain that decision yeah. I think it can create a little bit of problem or you have a lineup one day you have a complete lineup the other day and if you if you as a player you if you have that answer and you know like his reasoning I think it's it's an easier pill to swallow but also when it comes to the season hey we're trying to win games we don't necessarily have a lot of time to care about everyone's feelings, but I can give you, here's what we got. Here's what I see. Let's mm-hmm. move on. They should be all in. And when you have a team that's connected and has good chemistry and is all in, they can ride or die with those decisions. But yeah. when you have bad chemistry and you don't really have a, a really strong belief system in the coaching staff or the coach staff, the players, that's when things start getting a little shaky. So I think really yeah. promoting the, just the belief and like you said, the communication and the chemistry, like, I really do think that uh, that helps throughout the ups and downs of the season when when guys mm-hmm. may not be as happy about where they're at in the lineup or where they're at in the pitching rotation. Yeah. I want to ask about your time at uh, Navarro, um, okay. what that was like. Just that – that because that was your first year of coaching, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah I so want to ask I, about that. Yeah, so I went to – I played junior college baseball and then, you know, got to go play a and where, mm-hmm. man, you get all kinds of resources there and then you go back to junior college like, okay, it's a little bit different, but <laughs> – yeah. With that, um, I got to coach with uh, Roberto Gallegos, who had some coaching experience at OU, and then Woe Dill, who had actually won a national championship um, as the Navarro head coach in 2011. Mm-hmm. And uh, what those two guys did the most for me is, man, they made me, they gave me freedom to to do as I please with, with certain guys, but they also, in a certain aspect, let me like fail and let me just see it play out. Like, hey, like, mm-hmm. you said this, but this is how it played out. Like, this is where you need to be. Just, they just gave me the freedom to, to be successful, but also like have failures and be able to coach me up through that. So that was really good having those two guys. I can't say enough how much I appreciate those two because they really just helped me get into it and just let me do my thing. And yeah. with that, like you talked about earlier, the coach player relationship where it's like, Hey, you're not a, you're not, you're not a player anymore. You can't hang out with these guys. Although like I'm two or three years older than some of them, it's, you can't, you can't be like their buddy, but you, you gotta be just a, just a tad above them. But like for me, I was going in. Hey, we're the same. We're the same, man. Like, how can I help you? I just, yeah. just, you just need to just a fine line. Uh, but with that, it's it's described as like the wild, wild west in junior college. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
I love it. It's baseball all the time. You practice uh, in the fall, you get to practice Monday, Tuesday, and then go play 18 innings against Hill College or Grayson College on Wednesday, and then practice Thursday, Friday, and then go play another 18 on Saturday. And you get to play 20 of those games, and you really get to see like your team get better throughout the fall with all those games mm. and all those inner squads and all those uh, just opportunities for them. So that's really cool to see. And you, you get to see guys uh, – we talked about having a routine – you really get to see them form that routine because a lot of guys come mm. into college not really knowing how it's supposed to go, but you see guys, okay, you know what, I'm going to be, this is what I do every day. And this is what I do every day after practice, before practice. So seeing that and, and with that, you get a couple of things that are just wild that you wouldn't see at a division one level, just a couple of guys, just, I don't know, junior college in itself is its own, but yeah, uh, it, it was a really fun experience and I'm really glad I got to do that. And, the whole, I got to recruit two, two there, so that was cool to get my feet wet mm. and going to watch different high school games and different high school events and yeah. get to connect with other coaches that were out there recruiting as well. So all in all, a wonderful first-year coaching experience, and I wouldn't have traded that for anything because I really felt like I learned a lot. Mm. Do you have any uh, – or did you gain any newfound appreciations for, like, the hardships of what a coach has to do once you became one? Yeah, absolutely. So – Talk about Woe Dill. He, man, he's got, I'd say he had an addiction to mowing grass. Like he just loves <laughs> grass. <laughs> as a player, like, you know, as a, you help. And then we put some clay in the batter's box and we tamp it down. Like that's just, man, that's just the bare stuff. Like you, you mm. really got a lot behind the scenes, whether that's doing the laundry or creating the strength schedule for the kids and taking care of the grass and watering the dirt and nail dragging the dirt and edging the dirt and making sure the mound's good and making sure the tarp, the field's covered when it's raining. There are all kinds of things go behind the scenes and you don't, you do not think about that at all. And, hey, what are we eating after the game? Make sure we call them or, Hey, what are we doing before the game? Did we get all the stuff on the bus? Lord, we got to make sure we have like a schedule. Everyone's got something that they're doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but with that, uh, you said you get the the ownership aspect to it, like whether it happens or it didn't, you own it, and mm. it's it's really like whoa did a really great job of that. Of like, hey, it's I'm aware all of it. Like it is all my fault. I will just do a better job of delegating responsibility. So mm. I don't know. It's there's sure a whole heck of a lot that goes behind the scenes. And I'll tell you what, McNeese having a blue turf field, but there's not a lot of maintenance is a blessing in disguise because we don't have to do as much. But yeah. it is. Uh, respect to every junior college coach out there because it is 100% a grind all of the time yeah did you know you always wanted to be a coach I don't think I did I don't think I, hmm. I didn't think I was going to be a coach um on the recruiting trail last year when I was at Navarro uh, I was talking to like a scout like like how's it going he's like living the dream he's like oh, we're living the dream are we and I was like no nah, I mean I don't know if this is a dream I, we're watching the game I'd much rather be playing the game you know yeah, but yeah. I think, yeah. uh, with, with all that baseball has given me and all the moments and all the opportunity and all the, the friendships uh, and the mentorship, I feel like I, I had to get back to it. And I feel like this is mm. the best way for me to give back to this game is, is pouring into the guys that I work with. And, and that, that has really been cool to see. Uh, mm. It's a humbling job, but I wouldn't trade this for anything. I, I really enjoyed it and really enjoy just giving back to this game. Mm. You mentioned the blue field. What's it? <laughs> Now I know nothing about the blue field. I I've seen the blue field. It's uh-huh. insane. Do you yeah. is there do you know this backstory about the blue field or like when it came about? So I think they had it was green. Like so we got it's a lot of green, but it's, it's, yeah. But the, the home plate's blue, the mounds blue, bases are are blue. Okay, okay, yeah. Blue. So it's like a 
it's a weird mix. And when I, th I think when Justin made the, the move to blue, I think he wanted to create like a, hey, we're McNeese, like, oh, we're the team of that blue field. Like, what's the one blue field for college football? Do you know what that yeah, is? Yeah, Boise State. Boise State. Yeah, everyone yeah. knows Boise State. They got the blue field. So yeah. maybe a little bit of that, like, hey, we're on the map a little bit. We've got this blue field. What is that? Who's got the blue field? McNeese. What is McNeese? Oh, I, you know, it's like they look into a little bit more. It's ah, almost like a recruiting thing, but – and some old school guys hate it. They just think it looks bad. As a new, as a newer guy, younger, I think it looks cool. I'm not, yeah, I'm not, like, all right. but uh, I think it was just to draw, just to make a little more attention to us and our program and, and what we've done and all the success that we've had. And yeah. I don't know, just maybe a little bit of recruiting side. It does look great. It is, a, it is a great looking blue field. So, yes. Now, besides the blue field, what would you say your favorite thing about McNeese is? I would say the community aspect, you know, in Louisiana, as you're sure, LSU reigns overall. Everyone is an LSU fan for why I'm not quite sure, but they are it's the reality. Yeah. But man, in Lake Charles, like the way this community backs like the university is amazing mm. to me. And they all like went to Lake, went to McNeese, support McNeese, go to McNeese football and baseball games. That was really cool for me to see. And I don't know if I just think that because I came from a junior college where the, there's not too much of that, but man, this community really supports us and they're really all in baseball and they know us. And, and I think Justin does a really good job of connecting with people that have had a real big, uh, real big, what do you say, impact on our program. And he does a really mm -hmm. good job of reaching out and keeping those connections. And I think that has just been real cool to see, like, man, they're invested into us. Like they're really invested mm -hmm. in for our team too. We also are able to invest back into the community. I think, We've completed nearly 300 hours community service, just helping different things out, like hmm. just just little things, like helping like set up for a Ethel Hope breast cancer walk or going to Catholic charities to to deliver meals for the less fortunate. It's just, I think there's just a really good relationship between us and the community, and that's just a it's really cool to see uh, that, and I, I just really have enjoyed that thus far. I've got to ask, what do you think the impact of doing that community service is on the team? I think everyone is, some may see like, oh man, I got to go do this community service like before, but once they get there, man, I think it just really just drives home the fact of how fortunate they are and like, how mm -hmm. great is it that like, hey, when I go, we go do a community service event, everyone's like, oh, the McNeese baseball team's here and they all want to take a picture and it's like, man, yeah. hey guys, you you have a, a platform here that you're really able to go help and put a smile on people's faces and, and do better for this community. So with that, it may like, you get up whether at eight o'clock and now oh, we got to go, we got to go deliver. But once you get there and you see all these smiling faces of how thankful they are that, that you're an, a McNeese baseball player, you probably have a mm -hmm. schoolwork, you probably have baseballs to hit or baseballs to throw, but you're taking time out of your day to come and, and help this community. You really see the gratitude out of these people. And I think that can make anyone's day and make sure, make sure are extremely full. Yeah. Uh, it's so funny. I've, I remember feeling the same exact way before doing something like that. Uh, and then after I walk out and I'm just like smiling, I'm like, that was awesome. Like, why did yeah. I ever anticipate that this right, was going to be right. a bad experience? Like, right. it's, it's so funny to me. Um, I want to ask, um, if you weren't coaching right now, if you weren't, you know, maybe still playing right now, um, what you'd be doing instead? Yeah, that's a that's a hard question for me because I don't I don't really know. I, I got a, a degree in supply chain management at Texas A&M, and mm -hmm. I would believe I'd be doing something in the business world. Yeah, that that's what I think. But that's a question that I, I've asked myself a couple times of 
I'm mm-hmm. not sure what I'd be doing. I'd have to be involved in sports some way, you know, just because mm. I enjoy the competitive aspect to it. Like I just enjoy competition and winning or losing. It's just the action of getting out there and going against somebody else really brings joy to myself. So I don't know if I would have got that out of the business world. So I believe I'd be mm. somewhere sports wise helping out, whether that's being like an agent or being, uh, I don't know, some sort of director, some sort of, guy that helps universities but i also think being an ad would be awesome i think controlling yeah. who coaches what and how you can best benefit the program would be really cool like i got to meet ross bjork when he got the job at AM and talk mm. to him like, hey how did you get this like where did you start from and just pick his brain on that so i think being an ad would be super cool but i don't really think i could see myself outside of sports mm. do you think long like long term for yourself like that would be a possibility or a goal for you I don't know. I think uh, I think the main goal would be I would love to be a head coach at the SEC. I'm sure there's a, lots of coaches out there that that's also a dream for them. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that would probably be the main main goal for me is I, I want to coach a program that, hey man, like, I'd love to be a head coach, but a program that does something really special and is able to create a lot of great memories. Uh, mm-hmm. If it kind of ends up being an AD, I, I I wouldn't say no to that. That'd be super cool. But I don't know. With this whole coaching journey, you'd have no idea where it's going to take you. Whether it's going to take you from Dallas to Lake Charles, Louisiana, or Lake Charles, Louisiana, somewhere else across the country. You're just along for the ride. And I'm lucky enough to to have a wife that helps that supports me and helps help is all for it. So that makes things definitely a lot easier on me that she's down for whatever opportunity that comes our way. Certainly. That's that's such a great foundation to have. Um being being a minor league player, I can tell you it's like, all right, I'm all on my own right here. Like I don't know if someone else would want to be along for this ride. <laughs> right, right. It's tough. It's uh, it's tough, and it's, it could be a, it could be a lonely road. But like when you have, when you're dedicated enough to it, or you have someone you're with that's dedicated enough to it, man, it makes it a whole lot easier. Yeah, I gotta ask for the last question. Most memorable, you know, recruiting visits. Now, like we talked about earlier, this could be you as a player. This could be you as a coach, even. Uh, uh, but whatever you have, you know, anything, it could be good or bad. So. Uh, the one that pops up in my head uh, was when I was in junior college. Uh, mm-hmm. I had a buddy I played high school baseball with, and he went to UTSA. And he's like, hey, man, I'm going junior college. What do you think I should do? Like, oh, you need to come to Cisco College. He's like, dude, you need to come here. It's going to be great. Mm-hmm. He's like, all right, like, I'll, I'll talk to him. And the coach, David White, at the time was like, hey, what do you think of this kid? He's like, oh, he's, he's really good. Like, great dude. Like, he can hit. I'm telling you that he can hit no matter. Like, there's one thing to do. He can put the bat in the ball. Mm-hmm. So, uh he comes on his visit and this is during winter break and I was already home and we live in the same area in Houston. And he's like, yeah, man, I'm about to walk in. Like, I'll let you know how it goes. So he goes into his visit and David White, before I get into this is a little bit of a jokester for everyone knows him. He's just, he's a little bit of a, just mm. enjoys getting out of somebody. So he goes in there and they do a visit and three and a half hours later, he's like, Hey, have you talked to sweet? And I was like, no, what's up? His name was Zach Sweet. The recruit's name is Zach Sweet. And he called me. He's like, hey, have you talked to Sweet? And I was like, no, man, what's going on? I told him what we had offered him. And he, he looked at me in the face and, and just walked out and was super frustrated. And I didn't even get to say anything nice to him. And I, I need you to call him and make sure everything's all right. Well, I'm freaking out at the moment. Like, hey, man, yeah. like, hey, dude, what happened? Like, he's like, dude, like, I'm, I'm done with this place. Like, he was terrible. I hated the recruiting visit. Like, I think that guy is just full of it. Yeah, yeah. I was like, that's not good. Then Coach White calls back. He's like, 
ah, man, I'm just messing with it. We signed him. It's all good. We just want to <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> Dang. Just, oh, my gosh. Yeah, man, just kind of put me on the hot seat for a little bit. But I thought that was a pretty good one. And wow. Visits that I've been able to sit on at Navarro or – you get some parents that have a really cool like there's a, a parent that was like real life Italian and he owned an Italian restaurant and just oh just mm. he had that thick at like just um ask what do you call it personality and just, yeah that like that cool persona but uh, I would say that one in Cisco man really drove me up a wall I was Jeez. freaking out I was just good 15 minutes of just straight panic oh my gosh yeah I'd be panicked big time <laughs> that's awesome though because it's like Cause it's like you helped him and then it's like, all right. Yeah. Like you don't want to be, you don't want to look bad. Uh, that's awesome though. That's a great little story right there. Um, Mikey, that is everything I have on my end for you. Um, I think the last thing I'd like to ask of you is kind of just maybe just a, like a last regards for guys that are interested in McNeese um, or even like parents who don't know about McNeese or like, you know, how they, how they should go about it uh, if they have interest in your school. I would say McNeese being in Lake Charles, Louisiana, like we want kids that, that play the game hard, that play the game right. And with that, it doesn't have to be the prettiest thing. Like if it doesn't have to be 95, 99, doesn't have to be uh six, eight, that runs a six, two, 60. Like if you can play the hard game the right way and play it harder than the guy next to you and, and can, can communicate with us and communicate really good with team members, that is a guy that we look for. And it's mm. not just, the results in the field that we look for. It's how you communicate with your teammates, how you operate off the field, like how you talk to your teachers. It's it's the little things that are done right. It's the it's the communication and the, the community aspect you have with your team, but also how do you do in the field? And it doesn't have to look pretty. Like we're just looking for guys that get after it and uh, want to be part of something that's bigger than themselves, give back to the community and have the community that really believes in the team. Mm, wow. Love that. Um... All right. Well, with that, I mean, I think that concludes our episode. Um, I'll just say one last time, thank you for coming on. And and I will talk to you really briefly after we sign up. But that's going to be it, folks. Um, Thank you for listening or watching. And uh, we will see you next week.